0: The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you.
1: Well, wow, that Israel live really is a great trip, you know. And they went over there, came back. We got two people who survived right here, and it's just so wonderful because uh, you know you don't know who you're going to see if you're going to see anyone there. You know, you kind of go out there and let the Lord lead, and it was a wonderful time. They encountered many Israelis, over a hundred, I understand. So praise the Lord for that. That's wonderful. Kind of reminds me of this last week I went down to way down Baja. And to see the whales, the humpback whales that go there for their after they calf their whales, the, the mother whales teach the baby whales how to be whales, and um, and so you know we went out in this little boat, you know, and and then the same thing, you know, wonder, are we going to see any whales, you know? And you go out there, and all of a sudden these massive, massive 50 foot long things just surface right next to the boat. We feel very vulnerable, you know, at that point. And they like people. They came up next to us so we could lean over and pet them. So that's kind of like the Israelis. I don't know how, but somehow that was like the Israelis. All right. So if you turn in your Bible, please, to Exodus chapter 24, we're going to look at a great passage here in the Bible about what happened, one of the things that happened. Many things happened at Mount Sinai. This was one. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes now as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 24, verse 1. Exodus 24, where we read, And he said unto Moses, God, he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou, and Aaron, and Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. And they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. Moses came, told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord had said will we do. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, rose up early in the morning, built an altar under the hill, 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel, and he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord had said will we do and be obedient. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Now, this is a very important, monumental time in the history of the Jewish people, and the history of Israel here, because there was a sequence that had taken place with Israel. First, Israel grew into a large people from about 70 or so people starting off with it to the millions in Egypt. Second, Israel experienced in Egypt a very bitter life, bitter, hard bondage, as there was a course that was set out to systematically exterminate them. Third, God delivered Israel out of Egypt with such a strong hand when he judged Egypt. And then fourth, he brought them here to Mount Sinai so they could learn who God really was. And to teach them who God was, he gave them commandments and judgments which all was a blueprint of who God was. Who was this God who delivered them out of Egypt? And then they made this monumental promise to the Lord here. They said, everything that the Lord has told us to do, we're gonna obey him. And then the rest of the 40 years there was just a series of trial after trial after trial just to prove just to prove them, are you going to come through, are you going to live up to your promise that you're going to obey God, that's what it was. But our focus now is at the foot here of Mount Sinai, a place where David said tremendous power was exhibited in Psalm 68.8, Psalm 68.8, David said, at that place the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God, even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. So there he promises, so there they are, they promise rather, they're gonna obey God, they're gonna keep his commandments and they shout out this promise twice. All the the words which the Lord has said, will we do. All that the Lord has said, will we do and will be obedient. And then after they make this dramatic promise, then Moses does something that none of the people there who were there would ever forget. And we wanna put ourselves in there tonight. Because Moses took blood from oxen. I don't know how many oxen he sacrificed. Maybe it was one for every tribe. After all, there was 12 pillars. Maybe there was 12 oxen. I don't know. But what I do know is that an oxen has about seven and a half gallons of blood. Trust me, it's my business. <laughs> so there could have been close to a hundred gallons of blood possible. Let's just say that, that, that he didn't collect it all. Let's just say that just for, just get a picture a 55-gallon drum worth of blood. That's a lot of blood. Half of the blood he sprinkles on the altar where the sacrifices are burned, and then he takes the other half and he sprinkles it on the people. And I want you to imagine that. I want you to imagine now you are there. You are right there at that scene. You're at the scene of the Mount Sinai, and this time, and you're watching Moses and when Moses is going and he's sprinkling on the altar and as he's doing that, you're saying, what's he doing? What's Moses doing? And you nudge your friend next day. What's he doing? Can you see better? What's he doing over there? And you watch carefully and, there, you know, you see his blood. There's something very shocking about the side of blood because blood is just like violence happened or something, blood. And you see him go over to the altar and you see him approach the altar and then you see this place of death. You know, and you think about the altar, you think about, oh, that's the place where I saw all those really perfectly good, great animals killed there. Not the refuse, but the best. And then you watch Moses as he, as he dips in the sacrifice and the, the reeds, you see him dip the reeds and the blood there, and then you see him fling his arms out as the, as the blood is sprinkled on the altar, and you watch that. And you, you you keep in mind that 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 Moses never told the people what he was going to do. You know, he, and so you're looking at, you know, imagine you're right there in front. And it wasn't like the Shamu show where you told, you know, first rows are gonna get wet. It wasn't like that, you know. And so no one told you what's gonna happen. And you watch Moses and you're amazed to see Moses approach the people and he's standing there right in front of you and you see him put the de into the blood again, and you think to yourself, oh my, is he gonna do what I think he's gonna do? And then he flings his arms out, and you close your eyes, because the next minute, you've got blood on you. You've got the blood on you. And you stand there, and you're absolutely astounded at what's just happened, and you say to yourself, what was that? What is that? And Moses says, and Moses then speaks to you in verse eight, and he says, behold the blood of the covenant. And when he says that, he says that, you start to think to yourself something very important. And he says the word behold, and you realize he's saying, don't just pass over this time. Don't just, don't just give it a quick look. Don't just take notice of it. But when he says the word behold, then you understand. He means ponder. He means meditate on this. He means think about it. He means, he means delve deeply into the meaning of what he's just said, the blood of the covenant. What is that? And that's what we wanna focus on now because it's the blood of the covenant, of the covenant, of course, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that made so many great accomplishments. His blood made great accomplishments and so we wanna, we wanna see just a part uh, we, tonight, we wanna just, just in a little bit, we wanna behold the blood of the covenant. Now, to understand the importance of blood, we gotta go back to where violence is first referenced in the Bible, and where there would have been blood. And actually, it's, it's in an unusual place, but it's right after Adam and Eve have sinned. The devil has just leveraged on the vulnerability, first of the woman, and gotten her to sin, and then he moved his strategy over to the man, and they both sinned, and then, and God is going down the what did you do routine. What did you do, what did you do, what did you do, and he gets to the devil. He gets to the devil and the person of of the serpent there, and he then pronounces judgment. He he makes a prediction of judgment in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, you know, that vulnerable woman that you just took advantage of and caused a sin. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. That'd be the seed of the woman, her seed. And it, it, the seed of the woman, shall bruise or crush thy head and thou shalt bruise or crush his heel. So in essence, God is saying saying to Satan, says, okay, you took advantage of man. Yes, you did. You took advantage of man through the weakness of the woman. You conquered man. Yes, you did. Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen now. It's going to be a man who's going to conquer you. It's going to be a man who's going to conquer you. And he says to them, there's going to emerge this special person, this special man who's called the seed of the woman. Nowhere in the Bible, anybody, no one is ever called the seed of the woman. It's always the seed of man. He's a, He's the son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. It's a man, 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 but not here. It's the seed of the woman, Mary. And the picture that God, and by the way, I said Mary, now, you know, as Protestants, we tend to give Mary a bad rap because we we react against her because of Mariolatry. But don't do that. She was the most blessed woman. She was a great person. She led us and showed us when she said things like, I rejoice in God, my savior. Picture that God has painted here is of the deliverer who's going to come and he's going to take his foot and he's going to stomp on the head of the serpent, of the crush the head of the, the, of the devil. But this deliverer is not going to be unharmed in the process because God said that this deliverer is going to have his heel hurt by the devil, so the picture that of the, surp- of the deliverer raising his heel to crush the head of the snake and as he does, the snake then strikes the heel of the serpent and draws blood and that's the first indirect reference in the Bible to blood, it's of the deliverer who's shedding his blood in the process of killing, destroying our arch enemy, the worst enemy we have, the devil. And it's in this process of this bruised heel that we see this indirect reference to blood, which is the foundation for our deliverance. You know, Genesis 3.15, it's all about our deliverer. As we see our deliverer, he's got this bloody heel. It's like, behold the blood of the covenant there. And we begin to see blood in this very first instance here. We begin to see this picture It starts to emerge for us, starts to get clearer and clearer in the Bible that blood is the foundation for our deliverance. And it's this picture of this heel being bruised as it comes down on the head of the snake that was before the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to earth and he realized, I am born to crush the head of the serpent. I'm born to crush the head of the devil. I am born to have my heel bloodied in the process. And we so desperately needed that. You know, we we, we needed, because the devil was our captor, He was our captor. You know, it was just like we were prisoners in a galley ship being forced to row, and we're desperate down there, and no one's gonna open the latch to let us out, and so our hands are flailing out the window. Somebody help, somebody help, and the devil laughs. The devil laughs, and and there was no one to defeat the devil except for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why in Genesis 3.15, there's an emphasis on this bruised heel of the deliverer. It's not on us. To be freed, it's the emphasis is on the bruised heel of the Lord Jesus Christ, our deliverer. It's like we could sing, oh, sacred heel, now wounded. What language should I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? Oh, well, we behold the blood of the covenant in the, in the bruised heel of the deliverer. Now, the best description, I think, of blood in the Bible is very simple in Deuteronomy 12, 23. In Deuteronomy 12, 23 says, the blood is the life. Very simple, the blood is the is the life. What does that mean? It means that the blood is the life in the sense that blood is like a link that links our soul to the body. It's like a liquid link. It ties our souls to our body. When the blood is shed, the body dies, the soul leaves. The soul leaves the body when the blood is drained away. When the blood is shed, life is drained away. There's death. And that's why blood is so important, because it speaks of the life of the person, no blood, no life. And when the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for us, he gave his life for us, as seen in the shedding of his blood. And when he gave his life for us, what he did is he opened for us a door for substitution, a great substitution, the great substitution. Substitution of what? Substituting our death for his life. Our sinfulness, for his righteousness. Our rejection by God is substituted by his acceptance by God. All that we have, our homelessness for eternity, is substituted for his home in eternity. We have despair, we have sadness, he substituted for his joy and gladness. We have a great distance from God, we substitute it by his closeness to God. We have internal filthiness from our sin, He substitutes it by his purity and righteousness. We have war with God, he has peace with God. We have weakness to overcome sin, it's substituted by his power to overcome sin. We have a oneness with the world, it's substituted by his separation from the world. And we're barred from heaven, it's substituted by his his right to enter heaven. We have hell for a destiny, substituted by heaven for a destiny. That's his, everything we didn't have comes from a substitution of what the Lord Jesus Christ has. And all this substitution takes place when he died for us, when he shed his blood for us. He died to substitute what we have for what he has. He died so we don't have what we have, but we could have his righteousness, his life, his acceptance with God, his home, his joy, his gladness, his closeness to God, his purity, his power, his separation from the world, etc. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ died, so that he could give us all of that by way of substitution. And since the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was in his blood, that's why there's such an emphasis in the Bible on his blood. What we so desperately needed, it was all his, and we got it by substitution. Now, I just talked about one side of the substitution, what we got. We got all those great things, right? But the substitution has two sides, because he also got, he also got what we had on our side. And that's what's meant in Isaiah 53.6. Isaiah 53.6, which says, the Lord hath laid on him all we had. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Corinthians 15.3, 1 Corinthians 15.3 says very simply, Christ died for our sins. And when he died for our sins, the Lord laid on him What did he lay on him? He laid on him our death, our death. He laid on him our sinfulness, our rejection by God, our homelessness. When he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We laid on him our distance from God. uh, He laid on him our weakness, our worldliness. He laid all of that on him, and that was the substitution. He got, we got. It was a swap. And that's the great substitution that all happened when he shed his blood. And that's what Moses is meaning here when he's saying, stop and think, stop and see, behold the blood of the covenant. Now, when we hold the blood of the covenant, we see in this substitution everything that benefited us from the death of the Lord Jesus. But when we go back and we look at the first actual shedding of blood, that was in the time when Cain killed Abel. So Cain killed Abel. At that time, God said to Cain, he came to Cain in in Genesis 4.10, Genesis 4.10, and God said to Cain, he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And we read some of the say, what? Yes, the blood has a voice, and the voice was crying, the voice of Abel, Abel's blood, was crying to God. And so the question that we say is, what was it saying? What was Abel's blood saying when it was crying to God? What did God hear? What was the message that was coming out of Abel's blood? The message was, vengeance is needed for my life. Judgment is required for the murderer of my life. Justice, wrath is required for the one who murdered me the life of the murderer for my life. That's the voice of Abel's blood that's crying unto God. And he's hearing that. That's the same same voice as the martyrs are crying from underneath the altar in heaven in Revelation 6.10. Revelation 6.10 where it says, they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? So this is what the first blood was crying out from the from the ground. And so Moses is saying now behold the blood of the covenant and God wants us now to hear the voice of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ crying out? What's it crying out? It cries out we are told in Hebrews 12:24, Hebrews 12:24 where it says and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling That's referring to this passage here in Genesis 24. The blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Better things. The blood of the sprinkling. Behold the blood of the covenant. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking better things than the blood of Abel. So the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is called the blood of sprinkling in Hebrews 12, 24. Now, We're told that the blood of the sprinkling, it's speaking better things. And now, by using the word better, it means we're supposed to compare the messages of the two bloods. And and so, what is the Lord Jesus? What is his blood speaking? Well, whereas the blood of Abel called out for vengeance for the sinner, the blood of Jesus is calling out for mercy for the sinner. Just the opposite. Whereas the, the blood of Abel was calling out for wrath, the blood of Jesus is calling out for grace. for the the offender. The blood of Abel is calling out for war with the sinner. The blood of Jesus is calling out for peace, the peace with God. So the cries of the blood of of Jesus, and Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, wonderful hymn, and he says, Arise, my soul, arise. That's the title of the hymn, Arise, my soul, arise. And he he references like the voice, the message from the blood of the Lord Jesus when he says, five bleeding wounds he bare received on Calvary, they pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. That's the voice of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is saying, forgive him, I died for him, forgive him, don't let that ransom sinner die. And that's what we hear And from the voice of the Lord Jesus, when we behold the blood of the covenant, it cries out, forgive him, oh, forgive, they cried, nor let that ransomed sinner die. That's the voice of the blood of the covenant. It's a reversal for us of the sentence of death. Now, when we behold the blood of the covenant, we look at it in another place in the Bible at what what Aaron did with blood. Aaron did something very unusual with blood. It says in Exodus 30, verse 10, Exodus 30, verse 10, Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it, the altar, once in a year with the blood of the sin offerings of atonements. Once in the year, it's Yom Kippur, it's the day of atonement. Once in the year shall he make an atonement upon it throughout your
0: generations. It's most holy to the Lord. Four people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you.